Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I'm Graham Davis, the digital editor of the Investors Chronicle, standing in for John Human once more, but I promise you he will be back soon. After giving some of the younger guns on the magazine their voice over the past couple of weeks, this week we turn back to a couple of our more grizzled old heavyweights. <laughs> Firstly, we welcome back specialist writer Phil Oakley. Hi, Phil. Hello, Graham. Thanks for the compliment. You're welcome. Um, we're going to be speaking to Phil in a, in a few moments about his column this week, which guides investors on what to do in the event of a profit warning. Also this week, we have the pleasure of tips editor and stock screen guru, Algie Hall, joining us. Hi, Algie. Hi, I may be gr- grizzled and old, but I don't think I yet deserve the, being called guru. What does they say, say about gurus? You only say it because you can't spell charlatan. <laughs> I do like a stock screen, though. Well, Algie, your stock screen record speaks for itself. But firstly, Phil, it's been really good the last couple of weeks to see you. you've turned your eye to sort of more educational pieces for our readers, which yeah. I think have, have, have been fabulous. And this week you wrote about profit warnings, what to do about them, how to hopefully avoid them, and what to do if you get caught up in one. It feels as though profit warnings are on the rise. Is that the case? Yeah, they, they seem to be on the rise. I mean, Ernst & Young, the accountancy firm, they do a lot of very useful and good work on this subject, and they have a, a quarterly profit warning monitor uh, looking into the, uh, the companies on the UK stock exchange and comparing the levels of, uh, of profit warnings uh, in that quarter compared with the previous the previous 12 months. And... They create an index out of it, the sort of stress index, and 100 is the highest, which means that there are lots and lots of profit warnings. And we are currently on that index um, looking at a number of 91, which is pretty high. How does that compare with previous quarters? Yeah, we're sort of sort of running at the highest kind of level now since, um, since 2008. Ouch. So it is quite serious. And I think just, just anecdotally, you know, looking at, at the markets every day now and over the weeks we are we do seem to be getting quite a few high profile profit warnings mm, there's been a, um, there's been a couple of chunky ones this week a couple week, of chunky ones this week certain sectors as well are seem to have you know general retail which has been a struggling area for a while uh, having a lot of profit warnings the last quarter the chemicals industry manufacturing industry even like the tech tech industry tech software We've seen we've seen a few there as well. So unfortunately, this is a trend that seems to be on the up, and it's it's not just regional; it's global. We're talking, and there's, there's talk of an earnings recession in the US again. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is what's dominating the markets at the moment: so that um, central bankers are, you know, deliberating on cutting interest rates. Um, we have a lot of in, uh, sorry, a lot of bonds now uh, with negative yields. Because you know the economy is perceived to be getting weaker, and it's obviously one of the the ongoing debates that you've got the stock market at record highs in, in America, and you have all this talk about cutting interest rates because the economy is supposedly getting weaker, and you think someone's got to be wrong here. There's a disconnect. Somewhere. There is a disconnect between those two events. Yes, but what is clear, and this is shown in the very detailed work that Ernst and Young does, it was, and readers and listeners will be aware of this. If you are unfortunate to be owning a share that has a profit warning, you know that on the day of the profit warning, you, your the value of your investment is going to take a pretty big hit, and the average hit 
uh, is about 21% in the second quarter. And obviously some have been even bigger than that. Mm. And that is obviously something you don't really want to be on the on the end of. And my article this week is um, looking at ways that you can perhaps keep yourself away from that. But as we've seen, stocks that sometimes seen as being very dependable can come out with profit warnings as well. And we have one this week, AG Bar. I think a lot of people are quite surprised at this. And this is, this is part of the, I mean, the, the reaction was pretty savage to its share price. Uh, shares are off 28%. Is that part of this flight to quality yeah, recently? Yeah. When those quality companies disappoint, the but shares get hurt even more. I think you point out, Phil, in your, in, in your article, actually, they're still quite expensive, the shares, because the profit downgrades were substantial. Around yeah. 20% they were guiding down, weren't yeah. they? So then it's still not a cheap share. No, and I think this is this is one of the one of the things I talk about in the article. I mean one of the ways that people have tried to keep themselves away from shares that are that have high profit warning risk is to buy extremely profitable, very, very good companies that have a consistent track record of keeping stable and growing profits in good times and bad times. Hmm. And it's not too difficult for investors to try and pick them out. You just go and look at the last recession and see see which companies held up reasonably well and, and go from there. That's a good starting point. And, you know, AG Bar would have fitted that, that criteria of a good, dependable, profitable, cash-generative business very well. And um, a lot of so-called quality investors have got AG Bar in their portfolio. I think Nick Train has this. In his Finsbury growth. One in the top five, I think. Yeah, and uh, Keith Ashworth Lord as well in his UK Buffetology is, a, is, a, is an owner of AG Bar. And I totally understand why these, these fund managers have gone for it. It ticks a lot of boxes. But this week, I, I think a lot of people will have been taken aback. And I think it's the reason. You always look at the reasons for the profit warning as well. Yep. And it's like, is this a te- temporary event? It's a very overused phrase that profit warnings come in threes, but actually the evidence does break out that once a company has warned once, it's usually not not the end of the story because it's there is a trend within the business either through trading or erosion of its competitive position that means that things get tend to get worse. And also you're you're in a situation where all management is that they have to tell the market when they think there's a material um, sh- um, miss, but that doesn't mean it's got, not going to get more material. And, yeah. and, and it mm. does, as Phil. One of the things I talk about, you get something which is known as the veiled profit warning. Often you get a veiled profit warning first where a company will come out and say, oh, we're a bit more cautious or the weather's not been as good or Profits will be second half weighted, uh, which is an absolute classic and and run for the hill type comment. (laughs) Um, But you'll get that. Sometimes you'll get that first before you get the full full blown profit warning. But I think one of the interesting things with bar is that this doesn't seem to be an industry issue of weakening demand for soft drinks. I know they tried tried to pin a bit on the weather, didn't they? They did, and the weather was the weather was a big help. But we've had Nichols come out this week who make Vinto mm. um, with a pretty robust trading statement. They're, they're sort of growing. Vinto is growing by 4%. Um, their overall mark, that's kind of in line with the UK soft, mar- soft drinks market is still growing. What's yeah. gone wrong with Bar, which I think is worrying, is that it seems to have messed up its pricing um, strategy and that last year, 
a lot of uncertainties in the soft drink market last year with things like the sugar tax. And therefore, I think they were quite cautious with how they were going to do it. And I think they kept their prices low Mm -hmm. and they went for a big volume market share grab and it worked brilliantly. This year, I think they've gone and looked at the profit they make on each can of iron brew and decided they want it to be a bit higher, put the prices up and the customers have given it a big thumbs down and fewer cans of iron brew are being are being sold. But there's also um, something else going on within the business in that they iron brew is like the bedrock of, mm. of, of bars business and it's a fantastic brand, particularly in Scotland. But they also they make and distribute other companies' brands, like global brands, so things like San Benedetto, Flavoured Spring Water, um, Rockstar Energy Drinks uh, are one of theirs as well, and um, Snapple as well oh, yeah. is, is one of theirs. And they make, they get the licence to make them and sell them in the UK. And they also have a, a fruit drink business called Rubicon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rubicon and Rockstar... Um, they mentioned that they've got some sort of issues there with brand-related issues, and it's all a bit vague. But it's but it's the kind of statement that thinks this is a bit worrying. And I think what what sort of compounds that worry is that Barr are saying that they're not expecting things to bounce back quickly. This is going to take some time to fix. And I think it's almost like a bit of a self-inflicted wound. And Going back to you know the point that you just made about the valuation algae is that this was a stock that was trading on 26 times sort of rolling 12 months next earnings before the warning on Tuesday. And it's still on 25 times now. Now, you've had a 28% fall in share price, 20% reduction in profits, probably a bit more in profit forecast because the fall is 20% on last year. But you'd think that this is the kind of share that people have wanted to pay high valuations for because they perceive they're getting some security in return. And for me, that sense of security is a little bit cloudy now. And it makes me wonder that, you know, the bar shares are still quite quite vulnerable. And I think you know, this is another point I make in the article, is that share prices are all about expectations of future profits. And high valuations mean high expectations. And the higher the value, the higher the expectations. And therefore, if those expectations aren't met and not met in a big way, the downside is potentially massive. And therefore, it's just that, you know, if you're going to pay up to buy something, you've got to be fairly sure that you're buying something so robust. But I feel a bit sorry for investors in bar because I don't think anybody would have spotted. This is a real shock. This is, yeah. seems like mm-hmm. a self-inflicted wound that no one really expected. I'm surprised that the shares haven't adjusted more downwards, mm-hmm. and I, but maybe they will. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think because there's that question as well, I think, because they concentrated on volume so much when the sugar tax was coming in. Yeah. You've got these two formerly very sugary drinks Mm. Oh, people were up in arms in Scotland, weren't they? Well, yeah, but I I, I went online before we came down knowing that we were probably talking about AG Bar. And um, the first thing I saw was a Vice article saying the sugar tax has killed Rubicon. And then you look at this sugar content and it's almost had to be cut down to a third just to get in 
yeah. you know, behind the sugar tax. So it has the sugar tax, which everyone was so confident about not having done damage to AG Bar. Has it actually done, you know, brand damage? And we just weren't seeing it because of the pricing strategy last yeah, I year. Think, I mean, it's there, there are questions. I think that's a very, not, very interesting point. Time will yeah, tell. We'll wait, yeah. I think what's clear is that if you look at other providers, other companies out there, they seem to have have navigated the sugar tax quite well. Britvic, it's almost Britvic's very fortunate in that it, it holds the UK and Irish license for Pepsi and Seven Up, and Pepsi Max has been going gangbusters on the back of the sugar tax. One of the reasons I actually quite like Britvic as a share as well. Uh, and Nichols seems to have um, done pretty well with taking the sugar out of Vinto as well. So I have a lot of questions on AG Bar now. You you, you do ask yourself whether there is uh, some brand damage and how long it mm. will last if there is. Hopefully it'll get back on track. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, it sounds like with what? that valuation, there could be more pain to come for those who are... Yeah, the expectations there, you know, you're paying mm. 25 times earnings for, for a company that's, you know, his profits are going to fall 20%. On last year, interesting. We've got Ted. You've got Ted Baker in your column as well, which yeah. is now. I mean, that used to be priced in the same ballpark yeah. as an AG yeah. bar, and that's had. I mean, a pretty nasty um, run of it, and it's now in about you know less than ten times. Yeah, I think, so you get multiple is, multiple expansion on the way up, and it, and, <laughs> and it can work on the way down as well. It's With what, profits falling at the same time. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Hopefully, you know, AG bar can sort itself out here. But I just thought the tone of the statement and the reasons for the profit warning were not something that could, might be fixed quickly. But I mean, if they, I think the pricing bit probably will will get sorted out eventually. Customers will get into a a mindset where they accept the pricing. It's quite interesting on the other stuff, on the other brands where they sort of allude to new recipes coming in and that kind of thing. And you're thinking, well, what's what's gone on here? But I think if they can sort Iron Brew out, which is their main dominant brand, that they'll get back on track. But as I say, you're being asked to pay 25 times earnings for a business where there isn't really a lot of a lot of underlying growth here. And again, this is something I bang on about periodically, virtually every other week or every week. This is the risk of that very stark <laughs> terms. So in terms of you know, if you suffer a profit warning, you're an investor in Bar this week, or, yeah. or, or Lookers, which had a profit warning as well. Yeah. Is it just purely a judgment call on when, when, whether you just cut your losses and get out, or is there any rules you can follow to sort of? Yeah, I think it depends on the nature of the warning. I think if you if the business can recover, you, you know, you might stay in. You might even buy some more. And Bar's sort of a bit of a grey area on that. Lookers, you just you just think that Ooh. that's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, uh, that's an it's, industry wide issue there. Surely, well, there's it? also the fact they've got an FCA investigation into their selling over the last three years. The financial risk with Lookers, with all the inventory that it has to carry. I mean, it is part of you. You wrote um, a piece last week about operational gear, and, yeah. mm. and um, that's when profit warnings come, and a company has a lot of financial, you know, <sighs> risk in its cost base or yeah. on its balance sheet. That's when. It, things start to get really ugly potentially. I think Lookers, Lookers looks horrible. <laughs> it, you know, it's quite clear. You know, the new car market just looks like a debt fueled consumer binge that can't last. I think what's worrying with Lookers is that you're beginning to see signs of 
weakness in the used car market as mm-hmm. well. Gross profit margin on selling used cars is much better than uh, than, than new cars. And you know, you just wonder whether if we've got a situation now where you've got building stocks. You know, and this is another thing: mm-hmm. stock build. A lot of these um, used cars are also financed as well. Yeah. So they literally are burning a hole in your pocket for every day they're they're on the forecourt. If you're having to slash prices to get rid of that stock, then then you can do a lot of damage to your profits. But the other thing with lookers as well, which also fits quite nicely into the magazine theme, is again, debt. And lookers' debt, if you just look at the the um the year end debt, it's about seventy million or something or 70, 80 million of debt. Forgive me if I'm a bit out, but they've got a 20 million pound annual interest bill. And, you know, you're not paying yeah. 25% rate of interest. So what that's telling you is that the average level of debt in lookers is a lot higher throughout the year than what they stick on the balance sheet of the year. And this is a common theme amongst companies is that, you know, you put your year end when your finances look, look at their best. Yeah, and and um, you know you get caught out with companies like Carillion, where the average level of debt is a lot higher, and it's often a lot better to instead of just looking at the levels of debt, just look at the ability of the profits to pay that debt, pay the interest on that debt. And at the moment, if you look at revised forecast on Lookers, Lookers is has got interest cover of about three times. And an industry like that, you don't really, you know, that's right on the edge of what's comfortable, really. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it could get really quite messy. I think. I, I think that car the car market is not not in a good place. Yeah, and we we've had um, Marshalls as well, haven't we? This yeah. week saying not very good things about. And then yeah, Pendragon. Obviously yeah, before that, Pendragon which... came out with an issue in in used cars. Yeah, and now we've got lookers going on about used cars and talking about margins and this is this is worrying and i think lookers in particular I forget the you know even even before you consider the fca and you know people talk about if they are clear to point out here this is an investigation no one's been found guilty but the worry would be that if there has been some sort of mis-selling of finance or what on that there may be a potential fine out there and, and a large one. Then uh, you know you can see why Lookers trades on five times earnings. Yeah, no, there's a lot of risk to price. And it's, you know, <laughs> and it's got a yield of you know over eight and a half percent, which is the sort of classic mm. flashing red. This yeah. is not going to last type yield. Yeah. So yeah, tough times out there. Now yield is a, a theme of your. Oh, nice segue. Stock screen this week. Um, Algae stock screen. You've identified 11 safe yield shares, and this is sort of plugging into this theme of of quality, safe havens, which is our other feature. I've actually also been, yeah, I was actually talking about the flashing red red sign of, I think, seven, seven, um, I was using the seven, seven rule, which, um, yeah, 7% yield, seven, seven times earnings. Kind of you know warning warning signs, but um yeah the this the screen itself tries to set a far lower bar than that, so it doesn't get too many really junky yields in there. I noticed that because un- unlike our income majors piece last week where they were five and a half percent plus, I don't think any of these stocks you've identified are even up. To no, no, I, yeah, I, I hope not. You've, you've sort of gone, <laughs> you've, but, you, but you have had to weaken the criteria a bit, Algie. Why was that? 
Oh, it's just, I mean, I, I think the longer the um, the markets have been strong, uh, the the harder it is to get, you know, because the, the, a screen is a very blunt tool at coming at um, a question of like, you know, what what companies may deliver a certain end to me? What what may, you know, if I employ investment style X, what kind of company should I be looking at? So what, what criteria have you looked at then? So the criteria are... Um, uh, so a yield of at least 3%, two times cover, interest cover of at least five, dividend growth in each of the last two years, forecast earnings growth in each of the next two financial years, uh, return on equity of 12.5% in each of the last three years or more, cash conversion, operating cash conversion of over 100%, and not too small, so uh, 250 million market cap and a beta of 0.75 or less. So it's quite a list of criteria. That's so I mean, lot. that is a lot. But I mean, the interest is sometimes you do a screen and you get, um, you put in two criteria and you don't get anything, and so you have to go back to the drawing board. But it's sometimes you I can, often you find can, um, the more you put in, the, the fewer you get back. Oh yeah, no, no, that's what I meant. So I mean, yeah, if you yeah. put in, if you, if you, but so there's certain things if you put in just like a couple of you know criteria, and they're and they're ones which are you know for some reason mismatch, and you can get hardly any results even from very low criteria even. Indeed. But yeah, I mean that, that that number of criteria when I read it out, it's quite a healthy exercise. Actually. So what yeah. um, what gems have you unearthed then? Well, questions of I mean, I, they, I I I only I only looked um properly into into two. I mean, also you know I always write in the um actual pieces. These are kind of ideas for further research rather than yep. an end of themselves. These screens, VP, oh yeah, uh, and Britvic. And uh, both have yeah really strong track records for dividend payments, but um. The Britvic, um, I, 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 my, my, my take on it was Britvic is a, a company which, if you're looking for a safe yield, it look, does a pretty good job of fitting the bill. VP, I kind of wasn't sure whether it's changing because it used to be a very niche hard business. It's got all those balance sheet issues in terms of looking for safe dividends, which you'd worry about with a normal hard business. It's made acquisitions it, as well, so it's but, yeah. Bad. Historically, it's been less cyclical because it's had all these niche areas into you know water, rail. You know the spend the spending of its clients don't match the broader economy. It's historically had very low levels of debt always, but it's kind of slightly um, changed with them. Um, recent acquisitions there are some regulatory issues that have been going on and um and then also they're just signs that maybe it's moving into kind of slightly lower margin lower return on capital type areas so um possibly the business isn't you know as robust as it used to be and i mean yeah it's hard to say without a recession to test it really in some ways but But this has gone more mainstream at a time when the economy might be slowing down so yeah, potentially. I have to say, I, I like I like Britvic. I think it's one of the very good, solid, and also reasonably valued shares out there. And I think if you get behind get behind the numbers of Britvic, and you look at you know what's going on with the actual business, there's some, mm-hmm. you know you've got it underpinned by that Pepsi and Seven Up franchise that sugar-free franchise they're doing very well with the the robinson's businesses on the up particularly the squash the squash business and they've also spent a lot of time sorting the business out you know they've had a big rationalization of their production they've closed factories got a lot more streamlined production now they've spent a lot of money on that and that money that investment phase is now over yeah and so uh, Britvic looks to me like it's going to be throwing off a lot of free cash flow. 
And and it's all, it's always nice when a company has been because I mean I I don't I, I always feel slightly um stunned by the markets. I mean, the market's kind of short termist. We all we all know, but when a company is investing for the future over a number of years, as Brooke has has been, it's actually judged on those years at the time almost. Whereas when when the returns from that investment should start to roll in, as you, as you say. It, the market takes some time often to catch up, or maybe it doesn't believe that the returns are going to be there. But with Britvic, it, I mean, it does have that kind of dependable base, yeah. which which allows for good planning. It's easier to plan investment if you have a, a portfolio of brands which yeah, should I think, deliver. You know, I think you know, you look at you know, one of the most difficult things at the moment is trying to find companies that have got pretty solid businesses. Um, tick a lot of boxes in terms of financial strength. There's a bit of growth there, and you can pick them up for a reasonable price. I mean, I think looking, you know, yesterday, um, you know, you, Brickvic shares are on, you know, less than less than fifteen times earnings. Mm-hmm. Again, you've got this big increase in free cash flow. So again, coming back to the ability to pay the dividend from cash, mm-hmm. so everything's going in the right direction. It's also very interesting that what three four years ago. AG Bar almost tried to sort of it was dressed up as a merger, but really it was a sort of backdoor takeover of Britvic yeah. by AG Bar. It didn't, and it didn't happen. And um, cross my mind now that you know the market cap now of AG Bar is like down to seven hundred million. I think Britvic is now two, two, two point one, two point two. Yeah. You're nodding, yeah, yeah, yeah two point one, two point two. So it's you know it's three times as big. You know, market cap terms as as AG Bar, and could you get an opportunist potential takeover of AG Bar by Britvic? Rationalise the production because this is a, this is a market yeah. where consolidation is is possible. That idea has been explored mm-hmm. before. Obviously, it depends whether you know the two sets of management can be agree. But you know, it's crossed my mind that you know Nichols as well, which has reported a reasonable set of you know reasonable set of figures, not great. You know, good revenue, not brilliant profit, but reasonable. You just wonder whether there's some sort of consolidation opportunity out there as well. And I also wonder whether, you know, if you look at how successful Nichols and Fevertree have been by running this sort of asset light business model, whether Barr or Britvic might look at doing the same, um, because it's worked wonders for both Nichols and Fevertree. You don't tie up, you outsource. The third parties in terms of your production, your bottling, your distribution. Whether you could do that with a third party agreement with Pepsi for Britvic, I'm I'm not so sure. But I think this is an interesting sector you, in so in so many ways now. And I think, do you think it'd be easy for these companies to divest? Well, what you mean, production facilities? Well, yeah, and distribution networks. And I think they could get the distribution together quite easily. I think I think they could bar and Britvic got quite a long way down the line to actually doing this in terms of getting together. But whether you could go asset light with three big factories that Britvic has got and whether they whether they feel that would work for them, I'm, I'm not sure. Because obviously Vimto and Fevertree, they're smaller scale businesses yeah. and it tends to work. I'm not sure how it would work if you had lots and lots of different brands. But Britvic, you know, Looks looks cheap to me. Looks cheap, decent yield. Certainly one I would have a look at because I think it's uh, ticks a lot of boxes for me. Yeah, yeah. And the tip of the year also was it was yeah. yeah. 
and it's I don't know how it's done. I think it's done. It's done all right. I think. Yeah. But, it's done. Uh, this is this is a business that John John Human and I talk about, and we refer to as a chugger. A chugger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Turns it out. Just. <laughs> Just gets on with it, yeah, which is what the mainstay of a portfolio. Yeah, really just should be in just, some ways. You know, you're not going to shoot the lights out with this, but you know, there's a lot to like about it for me. Could be one for the philosophically fantasy sip. Probably not, given that if I look what goes into the into that, I tend to focus on companies that have a lot of growth internationally. Right. So I tend to avoid companies that are largely focused on just the uk britvic does have an international business mm. you know it has a big business well not big but reasonable business in france ireland and then it ex- it has an export business into places like america um and other countries as well but it's not the main engine of the business but yep. if i was running a uk fund uh or running a uk portfolio uh, certainly, we get a lot of consideration because yeah. I think it's um, it's got a lot of hallmarks of being a very good business. That has that was one of Bar's problems as well. It's almost all UK. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, it's very different. You know, Iron all Brew is a very local brand. <laughs> you know, try- yeah, and the Scottish weather's been awful. Also, yeah, that is, it's to, been trying to get people in other countries to buy <laughs> this buy that drink is not necessarily the Although easiest thing to Vim- do. Vimto has a surprisingly. Great export market, does it? It shocked me when I first no, found it out when it was. in the Gulf. It's a <laughs> um, very popular drink in Ramadan. Yeah, when um, people are fasting, and um, yeah, Vim- Vim- Vimto in places like uh, in, you know in Africa and the Middle East has long been um, quite quite a popular drink. So uh, yeah, that that's. Uh, yeah, I'm not not sure the same can be said of Iron um, Brew. Africa, as, as, <laughs> yeah, but uh, really interesting sector. I think there's you know lot lot to look at there for 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 investors. I lots guess of, the, lots of different themes going on, mm. and the consolidation theme is a really interesting one to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, yes. I also wonder whether there's a profit warning theme in there as well. Well, I was going to say the, <laughs> these external a factors, note. <laughs> like, like weather, can can Britvic avoid? No one, you can't avoid yeah, the weather. You can't avoid you know, the weather, no. Yeah, I mean, if it's profit warning for the weather, you know, usually that normalises. Mm. Um, well, I think mean, the the one that interests me the most is is fever tree. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Is 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 whether you know whether they can build sufficient scale of business away from gin and away from the UK to. I, Keep people happy. There have been quite a few positive comments on the US, I've noticed recently. People seem to be, the fans of the company seem to be talking with a bit more confidence about how how things are going in the US, whether that's just because they've been there longer and there are a few more trade shows or whether something's really happening. I'd, um, saw, I'd seen the other week that they'd launched um, their cucumber tonic and they were targeting um, vodka and tequila drinkers in America. We'll see. We'll see. I think it's... I think they've been very fortunate with the craft gin boom in the UK. Yeah, mm-hmm. well timed. They have been brilliant at marketing their product in the UK. I think if you're looking at kind of mixer drinks, premium spirits in different markets, that's where I'm less convinced. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced, you know, firstly, you know, premium bourbon or a premium scotch, you're not going to mix it anyway because why, why on earth would you? But I think if you were going to buy, you know, a Jack Daniels or a Jim Beam in America, 
I'd be surprised if you put Fever Tree Cola in it rather than Pepsi or Coca-Cola. And you're up against massive, massive, powerful companies. Yeah, the distribution is going to be really hard. Schweppes fell asleep in the UK, became a bit complacent. I'm not so sure that's going to be as easy in in America. And it certainly, well, it isn't. Yeah. Also, I mean, I, I I remember. I think I heard a podcast with Terry Smith talking about it. And apologies. No, he did. I, I heard and the same yeah, one. Saying, yeah, saying that the UK distri- the, in, in the UK distribution was just fragmented, and there was a bit of a open goal in terms. Yeah. Of, um, yeah, but you know, where's you know, how how long before you saturate that market? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing as well is competition. We, we're we're seeing. You know, you just walk around your local supermarket now and. Um, oh yeah, they're everywhere. Aren't they? There are, you know, even Tesco now has got its own premium tonic. Yep. Um, and you're seeing new brands being launched. I saw, I saw in a magazine, one of the one of the newspaper magazines, there was an article on a Scottish Scottish water based tonic. So, you know, when you're making big profit margins, like yep. Fevertree is, one of the basic rules of sort of company economics: big profit margins attract competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something to be borne in mind as well. Yeah, the market doesn't allow you to get away with it for long, do they? No. And and yeah, and then that double double challenge of cracking the US as well. We'll see. Uh, but you see, the problem is, is that the shares. I mean, the shares have not been very strong, but they were certainly priced as if it was a given. Um, but the shares are still pretty on still a pretty pretty punchy valuation. So again, just tying into the. You know, their, their last trading statement was quite guarded as well. I just wonder whether there's profit warning risk on this. Well, that is a share that if they warn, that's going to fall hard. Correct. It's already been falling, hmm. but interesting. <laughs> One to watch out for. I think I think they're due to post results, actually. Well, I'm the... not sure whether there might be some results fever tree either next week or the week after. Brilliant. Thank you, guys. I think we'll wrap it up there. Yep. Thanks a lot for your time and insight today. It's been a pleasure. Um, that is all, all we have time for. There is plenty more in another jam-packed magazine. The main feature by Neil Wilson sort of chimes with what we've been talking about here. It's on how to identify safe havens. We've also got Chris Dillow updating his momentum portfolio. Daniel Liberto looking at how to mitigate currency risk when investing internationally. And the personal finance team's big theme this week is on high yields in emerging markets, as well as our usual features, news and analysis. Um, Available in all good news agents on Friday and online at www.investorschronicle.co.uk. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.